0: welcome to inspirational leadership my name is Kristen Harcourt and I'm your host I'm an executive coach and professional speaker I created this show because I am passionate about transforming the workplace transforming leaders and I have a mission to transform a million leaders by helping them to really go on an inward journey and figure out what that looks like for themselves to be conscious leaders to show up authentically to show up with courage, with vulnerability. And a lot of that is about developing their emotional intelligence, mindfulness, and self-awareness. So I'm super pumped for today's guest because I think we're going to have a really good dialogue in a lot of these different areas. I'm going to be speaking with Janine Dennis, and Janine is the Chief Innovations Officer at Talent Think Innovations. She's done everything. She's been in the HR space, talent management, digital transformation, technology, uh, and she's all about helping companies go from surviving to thriving. Welcome to the show, Janine.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you.
0: Uh, Janine, as a starting point for today, um, let's acknowledge that right now there's a global pandemic happening. And that's impacting all of us in different ways. So just want to start off with, you know, how are you doing? What has the last six months been like for you?
1: <laughs> oh, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> It's been surreal, but at the same time, I feel like, like it's been transformative. I definitely am not the same person that walked into 2020, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I, this has really caused, I think, ad nauseum, but I think we all recognize that this has really caused us to be still. And by being still, we've had to confront ourselves and our situations, and you know everything. And you know this has been that for me as well. Um, it's just been one of those things where I really had to dig deep and uh, come to recognition of what truly matters, and reprioritize, and and also just be in gratitude you know, because throughout all of this, I've remained healthy. Thankfully, my kids have remained healthy. Most of my family has remained healthy. So um, there's there's a ton of gratitude that I have to still be here, understanding how many people have been lost this year.
0: Absolutely. I think it it really helps to put things into perspective. You know, sometimes we can get into complaining and blaming and pointing fingers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just about, okay, you know what, I have my health, my kids have my health, have their health. Mm -hmm. And for some people, you know, just getting up in the morning is not happening. So I, I think that's really important to to put it into perspective like that. And do you find, Janine, you have a specific practice that you do to really keep the gratitude front and center every day?
1: Well, I'm a meditator. So, you know, I spend a a lot of time in meditation. And I would say when we were sheltered in place here in New York, that time was even more so. Um, I've gotten myself up to an hour or more doing that. And, you know, and also I'm practicing, you know, as a shaman. And so being a part of that, you know, really calls you to be still, you know. And so those things are commonplace for me, just taking some time in the morning, even if I don't want to be in a deep meditative state all the time, because you don't always want to be, um, but just taking some time to watch the sun Rise, you know, to be mindful, to lay there and just be with my thoughts, whatever that may be, or to journal. I think those are just some things I try to start my day with regularly.
0: Yeah. And I think I like what you said there too, just about being fully present. I know when I bring up meditation, which I do all the time, and then I get some pushback from people like, I can't sit there and be quiet. My mind's not quiet. That's why you need meditation. Um, but there's almost this this um, belief that you know the first time you sit down and meditate that you're just going to quiet your mind. And I tell people, and even to this day now, my mind is very very busy when I'm sitting down. That's why I'm quieting it and bringing it back over and over and over again.
1: It's it's an act of self mastery. So I you know I've been a meditator for about five years, and but I've recently probably in the last year, become an instructor. And so instructing other people to do it is a whole nother thing. And people have all these conceptions, misconceptions about what it can be. Um, You know, it really is an act of self-mastery, but it's also knowing how to pivot when your mind is like that. Like I said, you're not always going to want to lay there and just be in this like state, you know? And so in which case I would tell my students on that day journal, on that day, take a nature walk, you know, like it's, it's really just that act of taking that, that time for yourself to be present, like you said.
0: Absolutely. And so tell me a little bit about your career journey, because it has been diverse, and you've um, gone been a lot of different areas. So, so tell me about what's gotten to gotten you to where you are now and what you're really excited and passionate about in terms of the work you're doing right now.
1: Totally. So I started off uh, in staffing in 2005. So when I got out of school, um, I went right into staffing, working for a staffing firm where I did um, scientific recruitment. So we recruited and consulted for CROs, pharma, um, R&D organizations nationally. And um, that was my start. I hated staffing. (laughs) The idea of having a dollar sign above someone's head and kind of being in that salesy world as it pertains to humans was not my bag at all. Um, So I I did that for like nine months and then moved back to pastures that I understood because I'd been in healthcare even before that for about eight years. Um, So healthcare was something I knew well. So I went in from there to home, home care and so I was in home care for a time and Um, left there, went to a uh, organization that does, they basically staff uh, internal medicine within hospitals and emergency departments. So um, I managed those emergency medicine doctors, the physical um, therapists, um, nurse practitioners nationally. And then I went back to the hospital system and I was there for about two-ish years. And from there, there went on to Brookhaven National Lab, um, which is one of 12 labs here in the States under the Department of Energy. So they do R&D research, they do um, Homeland Security, Biological Sciences, Medical Advances, you name it, they do it, Um, and that was fun because before I became a psychology major with um, a specialty in industrial psych, I was a biochemist, I was a biochem major, And so going to the laboratory was like a geek moment for me (laughs) because it meant, you know, I could hang out with the scientists and talk shop and they were all so happy to do that. Um, Really, we hired the best and brightest. I mean, some of the people we hired were one of their only kind in the world to do it. You know, insertion devices, scientists, material scientists that were looking at things like nanomaterials and stuff like that i mean literally like avenger level (laughs) kinds of things so um that was fun i was there for four years and um you know in that time there were some i guess the beginnings of what i feel was like the upheaval of the u.s you know going on just um we had you know several government shutdowns and it was the first time in my career that i had experienced such a direct connection with the place that i worked to government Mm -hmm. Um, so while we weren't government, we were a government contractor. So it was like, they made sure to let us know you're not government, but when things go bad and sour, you'll be affected by that. And so, you know, I remember just being pulled into this auditorium and being told by a lab director that, you know, effectively we were going to probably be next in line to shut down. And, you know, he's kind of like, We're all in this together you may not get retro pay like the government employees but we're all this in this together and i just it didn't sit well with me it was kind of like i don't ever want somebody to have this much control over my livelihood um because the reality is we weren't all in that together he was going to continue to get paid we weren't and so that was what was real um and you know at the time i had been blogging um and putting myself out there this was early time of social media. So I'm talking like around 2013. And I'd acquired quite a few mentors that said, hey, you know, this consulting firm that you keep speaking about that you say you're going to have 20 years out, you need to build that now, like you're outgrowing where you're at. And so it was in the middle of that. And we had Hurricane Sandy, that literally I was ideating and figuring out Talent Think um, and the initial money I'd had to start it up, I'd lost because of Sandy. I had to use it because we were displaced in Sandy. Um, but like some months later, my aunt and my mom gave it back um because of all of that. And so I started telling think um top of the dial the next January and um was pregnant with my son and literally went on maternity leave, tested the viability of it while I was on maternity leave, went back. And one of my visible projects I had, we were working on acquiring a new HR technology, an ATS, in fact, and had gone to pot. They listened to nothing I had to say about communication strategy, change management, none of it. And I was frustrated. And I remember saying you know, to my kids dad, I was like, I think it's time. And, um, he was like, whatever you think, you know, think about it. And if you wake up tomorrow and you feel that way, put in your resignation, he came home and I had the resignation letter on the table. And, um, so yeah, I didn't stick around long. I ended up leaving like October of 2014 and, um, I've been out ever since, um, running talent thing full time. It was not, I said to myself, I'll do it for a year. If it doesn't work out, I'll go back in, you know, but I haven't been back. And so it's, it's been quite the ride, as I'm sure you can imagine running your own business, but, um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I I just, I love it. I'm really passionate about the pivots I've taken all along the way. I've really tried to make talent think what I wanted my version of talent management and HR in the world of work to be, um, not what I've experienced out there. So, for every experience I've had, I've said no. How can I work with companies to not do those things? You know, how can I encourage um, our industry to be more innovative and creative about how we do this and not see it as some programmatic thing? And so that's what's really been fun about Talent Bank is, you know, I've really been able to just do a lot of things that I never thought I could do in one sitting um, and that nobody would have let me do, to be honest, and, uh, and do it well, um, which is fun.
0: Wow. I, I love hearing the journey. I didn't know about the science background. I didn't know that you geeked, on, geeked out on science. So look, I'm already learning so much today. I love the the diversity of your background. You need to add that on too, that you're a scientist. Let's add that. To this
1: <laughs> oh, the almost scientist, the wayward scientist. Wow. I mean, wow. I, you know, organic chem is what did me in <laughs> wow. full disclosure but you know it's it's interesting from a learning perspective it's something I understand much better today you know which speaks to how much capability we have as a human race that our education system doesn't give us the latitude to really test our abilities yes. over a, a stretch of time because I probably could have been a bang-up scientist
0: absolutely but
1: I had to make the grade. And grade is what I wasn't making. So therefore I couldn't do that. So I had to approach science from a different way.
0: Yes. Yes. And so one of the things that jumps out at me with what you're saying there, um, Janine is, you know, I, I already know you're someone who's very much about thinking outside of the box and you're bringing creativity and innovation in different ways. And so when you think about, and that's one of the reasons I have this podcast is to talk about different ways when we're thinking about making work human. And so what, what jumps out at you when you think about organizations being more creative, being more innovative, being more human gave you that magic wand and you get to wave it and you start to really make some of those profound changes in organizations what would you like to see more of
1: I think people need more space to make mistakes and to play it is know. The- Like I've learned that there's this whole thing of, oh, well, you know, grow up. We tell kids, you know, grow up and and then you do grow up and then you're like firmly in this thing called adulthood and you just kind of regress towards the mean. But I found personally that adults still need to play um, in some way, shape or form to be a holistic embodiment of themselves. Otherwise certain things start to erode away. And so it's always saddened me when I've gone into organizations or worked with people in workshops where I'm encouraging creativity, encouraging them to, to pull something out of them that I know is there. And they're like, oh, well, I can't do that thing. And I know that it's not so much bad self-talk, although it could be, but more so the ways in which society beats us down and tells us we can't learn a new thing, do a new thing beyond a certain point. Um, you know, work is work is work is work. It's kind of boring. I mean, if I'm really honest about it, like, I mean, there are very few people that are actually going to work and saying like, wow, that was exciting. That was fun. You know, we kind of pigeonhole people into these really rote career paths. And, you know, we don't look at those career paths from a design perspective to see if they're actually working. And people just accept the fact that this is what it is. I get a paycheck, it's decent enough. I get benefits, the experience is okay, you know, and, I, and they thank the heavens for that. And I don't know, that sort of coasting, I think, is really something people are thinking about now um, after this whole experience is like, what have I really bought into? What have I really signed up for? Um, I remember distinctly going to this, I was part of this IBM think tank, around 2013, and they had called the best and brightest into ideate against the future of work. And one of the things they had in our groups as we were speaking about all these really heavy topics, they had Play-Doh on the table, a Rubik's Cube, um, I believe some coloring books, a sketch pad, um, some slime. And so it was like, like, although we were having these really difficult conversations, Conversations, you would eventually see somebody pick up some Play Doh and start molding it into a thing. You know, someone else would start sketching something and coloring. And guess what? Nobody's voices ever raised above this octave that I'm at right now, no matter how contentious it got. Why? Because they were playing. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, they were able to refocus themselves and redirect themselves in a way they wouldn't normally be able to. So, You know, I think that's important. And like I said, as far as mistakes, we just think people are supposed to walk on water when they walk into our organizations. And the reality is humans are fallible. Now, obviously we don't want them to make costly mistakes that cost a company lots of money, but, you know, like nonetheless, we're all fallible from leadership down. And so creating ecosystems where people feel like they can do that and not have their hands slapped and or lose their job but that it can be seen as a a teachable moment, I think is important.
0: I'm such a, such a big believer in play. And I, I try to say that all the time, like life is not supposed to be so serious and we need to stop yeah. adulting all the time. And, and I like what you said there too, because I think it's a two pronged approach, right? It's first of all, it's from the organization's perspective. Like, what are you doing to help create a space where play is allowed, where play is encouraged, where, um, you know, I, I, I hear all the time. Yes, we we're all about innovation. We're all about creativity. I'm like, Oh, so there are my must be like you you've really good um there's permission for failure right like so failure is okay well like not so much like but we are really creative innovation no no there has to be if you're saying that it's all about creativity and innovation there has to be a lot of space and encouragement for failure to get there so it feels like the organization um holding that perspective but then there's the individual it showed up for me so often when i'm coaching leaders uh we've sometimes had to create a list around like, what does it look like to play? What are playful activities so that they have that as a reference point when I'm actually giving them homework, <laughs> like your homework is you have to spend two hours this week playing. And it's so funny because I find this happens a lot with high performers, high achievers, doers, right? Cause they're so used to do, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. And the first thing I get back to them, well, like what's the outcome of this? Like what's the goal? Like where am I trying to get to? And then I'm like, oh, right. This is just about joy and happiness. And playing, which is just to play, is to play for nope. There's nowhere to get to. There's nothing to achieve, <laughs> and they've forgotten. They really have forgotten. It feels mm-hmm. like it's coming back to a part of themselves, and it's coming back home, because all of the conditioning when you go into adulting, they've forgotten about this part of them that that's there for all of us. It's there. They just lost touch with it.
1: Right, and so what that ends up looking like at a leadership level is a lot of wounded children who end up taking out those wounds on their employees. Hence why we have so many statistics surrounding people leaving bosses and toxic ecosystems. And you get the point, you know, so yeah.
0: Yes, yes. And imagine it's like, oh, if you want to feel better and go into the workplace and enjoy your job more, do some more play. <laughs> so they're like, it feels counterintuitive, right? It's, and I, I I get where it's counterintuitive because the messaging is so loud around doing and more and, and you know. So when you start to hear quiet and slowing down and play, it feels like oh, I'm I'm not allowed to do that. So it's it take, it's like anything. It's taking baby steps. So it's it's interesting as people start to play a little bit more then they start to remember these things. I think kids are so great for this, right? Because I'll watch them. I'm like, I used to love playing hopscotch. I used to love doing double dutch. I forgot about that, right? I forgot how much I love skipping and doing those things. So I think just watching kids or playing bubbles or watch like running in the grass without any shoes on and just the carefree, you forget about it. But when you do it again, it feels so good.
1: It does. I mean, I'm huge on grounding. I love putting my feet in grass and just letting the sun hit me. I feel so much better after doing those things. I mean, even when we were sheltered in place, um, one of the first things I did was go out and buy a bunch of retro games. (laughs) I bought, bought Simon, I bought Candyland, we've got Uno, we've been playing Kerplunk. I mean, all these things that brought me joy. I was like, well let's pass this on. And when I tell you, we had so much fun doing this together. Yeah. So, you know, it's so important to remember those things. I mean, even for me at a psychological level, I have my moments where I say I have to go back to 15 year old Janine. And so for that, I keep like a piece of um, cotton candy bubble yum, because that was my gum growing up or a blue raspberry blow pop. And so for those moments where I really need to feel like that girl again, I'll pull out my blue raspberry blow pop from the stash, you know, but it's like, it's okay. Like some people would say, oh, that's childish, but there's utility to it.
0: Yes, yes. It's funny as you're saying that it's reminding me as well that we we started to go back and, uh, and, and now that you're saying that it makes sense the nostalgia and why it would connect me to my kids and, and myself in a different way when we went back and watched all of those 80s movies, right? We're going back and watching Ferris Bueller and all of these movies when I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's still so funny. Like, I know, like, I understand why I loved it so much when I was a kid. And then that shared experience of, of watching it with them. So that's so true. I think when you start to think about those things that you really enjoyed, um, uh, when you were younger and you don't have to have kids to do that, right? You could, you get to just no. go watch that by yourself. You don't have to. Right. Totally.
1: <laughs> I mean, like literally we are all those different people in one person that is aging. You know, I mean, that's just what it is. And you can turn it on and off at any particular point. I mean, developmentally, we hope to not throw tantrums like a you know, like a five year old, but we all have the potential. It's just, you need the right trigger and, you know, variables to bring that about, you know, so I don't see why we shouldn't tap into those things for good, for for our sanity and for a better version and more holistic version of ourselves.
0: Yes 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 absolutely um so you know there's another thing that has been going on there's a pandemic but also um a lot going on with black lives matter over the last uh, you know two months and um, to me i i feel a lot of um a lot of hope around this feels different like this shift in people waking up i'm hoping but i i feel it but i'd like to know from your perspective a couple of things, you know, how are you feeling, but what are you noticing? Um, Where, where might you feel hopeful? And where do you see there? I know this could be a whole podcast just on this part. Um, But I'm really interested for, for, from your perspective as a woman as well, um, what you've been experiencing and your thoughts on that.
1: Whoa. Um, So, you know, for me, because I do a lot of Diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging work. Um, this this was more. This was the equivalent to how many of us as uh, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, were already online and doing the digital. And then the world came on board. The same is true of this. So, like the Black Lives Matter thing was already serious for me when it started the first time, if I'm honest. And so. You know, now it just feels a little bit like now everybody thinks it's important. And by this, by that, I don't mean that just in terms of, you know, white people. That's true of every other demographic, too, right? Because there were people that when the first Black Lives Matter <clears throat> came around, they didn't, they were like, yeah, I can't, right? And in fact, if I go back even a year and we had asked people of color, you know, to protest the way they're doing now, there would have been a lot of um, pushback as to why that couldn't happen, right? So it's really interesting to watch how all of that shifted and and it shifted because, you know, pandemic, chaos, job loss. It's interesting what all has to happen to a human for us to shift, you know? Um, there's a certain level of suffering that we have to go through, it seems, um, before we come to what is right. Um, So, you know, needless to say, this has, I wouldn't say it's been any more exhausting than the last decade for me doing this work. You know, um, the, the one thing that has changed is now people are serious for the most part about making changes now which is refreshing Um, but still the problems at hand and the things to solve for are very serious and they're not things that can be solved programmatically through a mere training a workshop it's it is exactly what i've been telling clients for the last decade that this is a societal malady And so, you know, like there's some part of you as an organization that has to want to solve for that, Mm -hmm. plus what's going on in your organization. That fell on deaf ears for the most part. Now they're a little bit more poised to understand the connectivity as people are coming out, sharing their stories, not caring about being a whistleblower or anything of the sort. And they're just like, enough, you know, um, there's a bit of it for me that's bizarre that it took this one man. I understand the timing of things. So that's a different podcast perhaps and things, but you know, you do as well. So I know that I'm speaking to good company, but it's literally like bizarre at a human level that it took this one man's life to be the thing that woke people up. But I think it was the one that everybody had a front seat to, you know, a front seat for In other words, we were all buzzing around, doing all the things. And so when these things would come over on the news or in the newspaper, however you consume media, people just kind of zoned out on it, you know, and it was a select few just really pumping their fists like, this is wrong. Like, we should not be like this. So it's, you know, I think my work is even harder now because now there's just all these different things I've got that I'm being expected to solve for, and so the conversation. But the conversations are realer. I'm able to have a much more genuine conversation. I mean, I had an intake just recently where I had to say, "Listen, I'm not about to solve for racism in your organization. I'm not. What I can do is some brand awareness around racism, misogyny, agerism, right." Um, In the hopes that it shifts people ever so slightly, but it isn't fair to me as a trainer to think I could solve that, you know, this is going to be a long-term game for you. So, you know, it's unfortunate that it took what it took for us to get here, but I would argue that many, many years out, maybe not many, many, many years out, we will thank this time. Um, for what it brings about you know we will we will thank ourselves for having dove deep and seen how horrible we've been to one another um, that we finally reached a place of some semblance of unity hopefully you know if not understanding um, for other people's plights I think that's something to look forward to but You know, here in the U.S., I think we're looking at something that gets a little bit uglier before it gets better, if I'm honest. And that's just kind of part of the process. But, you know, we've been masking it for a really long time, too. So, you know. Yes.
0: Yeah, like you said, there's, there's, there. It's not. It's this is an ongoing process that never ends. It's not like we just do this and okay, we're all done. And as you were talking about that, it reminds me of you know even if you think about coaching, right? If I'm sitting there and coaching someone, yes, I'm the guy. Yes, I'm asking powerful questions, but I'm not doing the work. I can't take that person be like, okay, so now I'm gonna do everything for you every day. No, and it's the same thing, right? You can create. They can create the space. You can educate. You can share. You can help them understand. But it's up to each individual, the onus is on them to start making new choices, new behaviors, new ways of showing up, which let's be honest, new ways of showing up are, it it can be uncomfortable, right? Even if I think about, um, when I've been in book circles, um, talking a lot about the anti-racism work, um, you know, there's different things when Mm -hmm. you think about, you know, unconscious biases and then they become conscious and then doing something different, uh, it's not like it's like, oh, yay, this is going to be so fun. It's going to be sometimes quite uncomfortable, right? What does it look like to yeah. not be silent and have people who don't like that you're not being silent and have a lot of things to say to you, right? Like, okay, you, you need to be with that discomfort on work. So I think it's a good reminder what you're saying is that, you know, and, and, and for you to be able to educate in that way too. Yes, I will give the information. I will have the resources. I will have the education, but it, each individual has to be doing doing the hard work and the discomfort.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, and a lot of this, I think what really makes a lot of this uncomfortable, particularly for organizations, is capital. You know, it's, it's the money, right? It's who's tied to who. Do I really have to cut that tie in the name of Black Lives Matter? Do I really have to make that statement, even though investors may pull Fundraisers may pull their funds. And then what does the organization do to stay afloat? You know, these are moral and ethical um, considerations that really are going to show us who are real leaders out here. You know, because I think the ones that are considering the money loss are the ones that don't realize that by doing the right thing, people will rally around them by proxy um but because they're so focused on holding on to the dollar with a tight fist um that's going to be the very thing that ends up costing them their business because this just isn't a time where you can afford to not have a position on what's going on people won't stand for it Mm -hmm. um whatever that is. And it's not just Black Lives Matter. There's, as you can see, multiple, like that was the thing, but like there is other movements now yeah. r- arising from that. And so it's troubles. It's only troublesome if you are in not, you know, the most morally or ethically inclined person. I mean, that's really the long and short of it. This isn't hard. If we're talking about doing right by other human beings, it only becomes hard if you've been doing some really shady things and now you've got to switch that up. That's difficult. I'll grant you that.
0: And to me, that's what integrity truly is, right? Integrity is not making decisions when it's the easy ones and it's when it's the hard ones, which as you're pointing out, it, it, that's all, already a perspective where you're thinking it's a hard one. That's you're, you're making a perspective that's a hard one. It's actually should be seen as the easy one because you are doing what's right. And, um, I think it'll be interesting too, right? Because you see the CEOs will be saying things and these are all the things that we're doing and where we're not putting money, we're not taking money, but it's the onus is on us too as the consumers and the people who are buying from these companies or working with these companies to see are they actually following through with what they're saying, right? You know, you have all these plans of the things that you're going to do is that actually happening? And, and asking more questions, right? When we start to think about working with somebody, asking the questions around what they're doing.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, people, there are big brands that are saying a lot of things right now, but if you've been in business long enough and doing this, you know what is sustainable and what is not. For instance, if you you weren't really hiring that many people of color in your past, it's not indicative of your board, it's not indicative of your leadership, and you then say, I'm going to increase the hiring of those people, Black, Indigenous people of color, by 30%. That's high. Yeah. And, you know, as somebody who has been in various positions, I'm dubious, quite frankly, as to your ability to do that, to hit that mark. Now you can talk about aspirational marks and that might make sense to me, right? But that's not what you're saying. You're saying we will hit 30% in that. And so I, you know, again, to your point, I question how, how, when you've never even endeavored to have a footprint in that lane, do you know how to reach them? What are you going to do? You're going to hire the chief diversity officer who's Black or Latinx or Asian. That's going to be the first thing, because that's the first thing they all do. Right. Right. What are you going to do? You're going to go get on one of those lists that say you're the best for diverse hires after you hire 10 plus people at your organization, because you're a startup of, you know, I don't know, 75. And so that 15 makes up some sort of percentage. Okay, that's an option. You know, like it's all this, in other words, they're so used to window dressing. Yes. That that you're hard pressed to understand how you reach actual strategy and execution. Because nothing you've done to date has actually stuck. And the kind of change people are looking for now is one that needs to be sustained before you could have got away with window dressing, people were just happy if you just had a stock photo of some black people on your website, yeah. <laughs> right? For some, and that was okay. That's not okay. Fast forward to 2020. They're like, no, I know you got that off Pixabay. <laughs> Let me see what that leadership looks like. You know, oh, not a person. Oh, thank you, but no thanks. I mean, this is the quantum leap we've done in business. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think. And that's where I think even with the goals, like perhaps you're a little bit more realistic and saying, this is what we're going to try to do next year and the next year and the next year and the next year. And this is our bigger picture. And oh, guess what? We're also trying to get at the roots of, you know, who are we going to be as an organization? Like, what were the micro behaviors? What got us here? And what are we going to... So it's really... This is where I think it's it's really critical. These are not about short-term fixes, short-term gains. This is about the big, long-term picture.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's no... I'm telling my clients, there's no harm, in my opinion, as a person of color, I'm saying this, and also as a professional with you saying, we recognize where we've not done this right, but here are the micro steps we're trying to take towards being better, right? I would appreciate that statement more than the grandiose statement of we're gonna do all these things because chances are you're not. And that work, especially when you you refer to in terms of the root work, of really looking at yourself, your culture, the ecosystem people have to enter and how they're actually functioning within that, you're going to find some stuff out. It's going to be ugly. (laughs) And so it's ugly. And then you've got to find a common ground. And then when you find the common ground, then you've got to make the change. That's how this happens. So you're at that point, you're still nowhere close to being ready to hire someone into your organization. Right. While you're doing that work in an ideal sense. I wouldn't want somebody coming into my organization while I was working through those sorts of things. It's almost like jumping from one relationship to the next. You had a really toxic thing. Nobody really, you know, you're coming into like this um, recognition of, you know, your wounds. Oh, but let me go and introduce another person into my ecosystem. Yeah. Cause that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. probably not going to work out.
0: Exactly. And that's where I, like you said, I, I actually appreciate more when it's the smaller and it's realistic and it feels authentic as opposed to going big. Cause then it feels like it's, there's another uh, mission around what's happening there and I'm a little bit less, um, I'm a little skeptical is the word I'll use with that. <laughs> a little bit skeptical. Um, so the other thing I like to ask you, Janine, and I knew this was going to happen. I told you, I'm like, I have to be conscious around the time. Cause it's, I'm not good at this. Sometimes I don't want it to end. So, so tell me, um, when you think about inspirational leadership and as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, to me, inspirational leadership is really showing up as that conscious leader. What are those, what are those behaviors? Like, what would you like to see more of in
1: organizations when we
0: think about conscious leadership?
1: I think. Empathy is huge. That ability for you to be able to see a person's plight, or see them, and understand that they are a sovereign human being that sits apart from you, right? But in some sort of connected way, there's some part of them that that also is you. No, that's a little bit paradoxical, but you know what I'm saying. Being able to put yourself in that person's shoes and say. I see you, may not understand you. I may not even agree, right? Because those are all different prongs we come to. That's like, that's just evolution. You know, that takes time. But at a minimum, being able to look at somebody in their face and not dismiss them the very second that they show you a side of themselves that doesn't sit right with you is huge, that to me is the pinnacle of empathy, right? I don't have to understand you, I don't have to, even like you, we don't have to break bread, but for me to sit across from you and say, I see you, Kristen, right? Um, And you have and I'm holding space for whatever expression it is that you choose to exemplify in this moment is huge. And it's something we don't do for one another, let alone a leader to somebody that they are directly responsible for managing, you know? Um, So I think that that's important. Um, I think knowing yourself as a leader is really important. I mean, if you don't know yourself, if you're not willing to acknowledge um, not just your strengths, but where you lack Or where you can brush up on things. How are you going to see it in somebody else? It'd be very easy for you to dismiss a person. Right? If you just think that you're the alpha and omega. Yeah. Then everybody becomes dispensable. And then we have things like what we have in our industry. Which is this idea. This really erroneous idea. That there's some sort of talent shortage. And not enough people to do work. That. And retention's an issue. Retention's not really an issue. It's that you don't like to have to see these different versions of human that don't add up to something that's familiar to you. And that stems from not really knowing yourself um, and not being in acknowledgement of what you are, because when you are, then you can, you have a whole lot more empathy for other people showing up in a lot of different ways. Again, you don't have to like it. You don't have to love it. But when you see it, you're like, ooh, yeah, I was that at some point. Or I know somebody that was that. And so I understand what that is. And while it doesn't work here, I understand it. It's a very different conversation you start having with people when you're that kind of leader, you know? And um again, I think you have to, your team should see when you fail, Mm
0: -hmm. you know?
1: Yeah. Your team should see you fail. Your team should see you win. Your team should see you prioritize your own self-care, your own family. It's literally like a parent-child relationship in a certain sorted kind of way where it's like, if I see you exemplifying what we would think a good inspirational leader should be, then I will start to think that I have the space to be that too. But if everything you show me in the workplace is toxic or restricting or confining, then I don't feel like I can have that ability to show up like that. And that is agnostic of color, creed, any of it. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we want to know that we can show up in a certain way and exemplify certain things. And if you're in a restrictive environment where your boss is all knowing, never makes a mistake, never takes a day off, you know, never leaves a moment before nine o'clock at night. What are you going to do? You're going to do the thing you think you need to do to keep your job or to excel to whatever level you're trying to get to. And that's just it.
0: Uh so, so true. And there's so much data and research to show when you as a leader show up with that empathy, people will stay with your organization. They won't want to leave. They want to do good work for you. And uh, they'll, even, they'll even take pay cuts. Like they'll stay more at your place and go to another place if they have an empathetic leader. And of course, like who doesn't want to feel like they're, like they're seen and that they are allowed to be messy and be human and I, I believe the place to be able to get to that with other humans is exactly like what you said. You have to go on your own inward journey to understand who you are and also accept all parts of you because mm-hmm. as humans, we are messy and we have things that we do amazing. And then we have some, some gaps and that's okay. We're allowed to have gaps. That makes us who we are and that we can grow. But if you can't accept that in yourself, How are you possibly going to accept that in others either? So I agree. There's such a connection with that inward journey. So important. So Janine, as we finish off, I'd love to give you an opportunity to leave your final thought with the audience. Anything that you would like to let them know.
1: I think the only thing I would say is, you know, if you're alive and watching this, continue to be grateful. Just, I mean, gratitude, I can't, I can't impress that enough. Um, take good care of yourself and take good care of your people. And I think, you know, if things aren't moving, if 2020 is not your year, your year will come. It's kind of the faith thing, you know? There's a lot of things that I thought were supposed to happen this year. They didn't happen in my time, but they happened. You know, and so a lot of this experience that we're going through is a bit of a social experiment, if you will, for whatever that's worth, in that we're learning how to be human beings, Um, I think, for the first time in our modern existence (laughs) and not human doings. Um, It's not, you know, you meet people if you have that ability to now stop asking them what you do for a living, ask them how their heart is. Mm. Um, you know, ask them how their family is. If everyone's healthy, if they're healthy, you know, like change the way you speak to other humans. And a lot of this can change, I think for all of us, for the good. in And yes.
0: I agree. There's so much opportunity here. So many silver linings, but it takes taking a step back and thinking about what that looks like and to show up in the being, right? We are human beings, not human doings.
1: absolutely
0: thank you so much for being here janine
1: thank you i'm so glad that we got to sit down and chat finally
0: So everybody who's listening, please head on over to the website, kristinharcourt.com. There'll be more information on Janine, and you can get all of her details. And if you're not already subscribing, please subscribe on the blog or on Apple Podcasts, and your reviews are greatly appreciated so that more people can see the show. Have a wonderful day, everyone.